So how's the 21st century going for everybody? A lot of fun? Very, very ordered and focused, the 21st century, is it not? I mean, we are finally living, you know, they told us in the 19th century that after mechanization and engineering and modernity, uh, as, as we went through the 20th century, that was gonna be great. You know, the 20th century is gonna be just awesome, you know, widespread education. And now we move into the 21st century and this surely is nirvana, is it not? Nirvana, pretty cool? Uh, not quite, right? Uh, the 21st century. Uh, you know, things are very confused. I see you this week. I'm hoping you will be the same person next week, but I'm not sure about that. Well, I guess I can hope that God will transform you in a new way that's glorious. But uh, next week we have team colors, and, and I really have a question. I'm going to be very interested to see what favorite college team colors some of you wear next week because, you know, now with the transfer portal, a number of you are transferring in the portal, you know, all the time. So it's very confusing being in the 21st century. I just saw a highlight of Malik Heath, who I thought was a receiver for Mississippi State Bulldogs, catching a touchdown pass for the Ole Miss Rebels last night. That was kind of interesting. You know, the transfer portal, we're living in the transfer portal age, are we not? And here's the thing about 21st century folks. You may have noticed this. 21st century folks uh, are overactive, overscheduled. No, I can't do that. I've got five other things. No, I don't have time for God because I'm this, that, and the other. Uh, rushing past me on the road, you know, because I'm only exceeding the speed limit a little bit, and they need to get past me and swing around and potentially cause a wreck and everything else. Overactive, overscheduled, and this is really interesting, overstuffed. 21st century people are overstuffed. I mean, a lot of us in the United States now are overweight because there's just so much, there's so much processed and readily available food. But it's not just the literal thing. Our lives are overstuffed. Our houses are overstuffed. Our storage facilities are overstuffed. Our minds are overstuffed with all the bad things. And here's the irony. We're empty. This is perhaps the emptiest age of human history. So many things in flux and nothing founded or sure. There's a lot of starvation, spiritual starvation going on, which is why we've been talking about faith is a feast and being able to feast on the Lord. We're empty because in this age in which we live, unless we turn to the Lord, there is no real rest. I mean, honestly, how's your soul doing right now? If you've been driving in the fast lane of the 21st century with all those notices pinging, popping, and everything, it's pretty hard to rest, isn't it? Tomorrow we're supposedly going to have Labor Day, which is a great day to get out and try to do all the things you haven't gotten done yet. You know, just like, rest is in short supply. Uh, let me go a little bit deeper and ask you this. Speaking of rest and what God means by rest, are you assured of your relationship with God. Do you rest assured right now that you are one with Jesus Christ? Is your communion close with him? For that matter, relating to that, are you assured of eternity? Do you know for sure? Today we're going to be talking about the answer that Jesus gives us, the way to rest assured. Yes, obviously, that's a double entendre. The way to 
rest assured in our Grow Closer to God sermon series. And today, there, there, and you can see this in the sermon notes, there's three kind of major movements of the sermon today. The first one is for, I know we have a few more children than normal uh, with, with the sequence and not having TLC in here. So really the first part is for, if you're not assured of your relationship with Jesus, just mainly focus on part one here, okay? The first movement. And then we're gonna have a couple other movements too. But the, the first is the heart of the gospel the heart of the gospel. And that's what I want you to hear, whether you're six years old and suddenly find yourself in worship service or whether you're 86 and you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus. Um, the heart of the gospel, Jesus's heart and Jesus's call for sinners. He's calling you. If you're not with him right now, he's calling you to come to him. That's the heart of the gospel. Secondly, the offense of the gospel. So we've got the heart of the gospel, and the offense of the gospel. This part is really gonna be for, if you're already a Christian, okay? This is more for the disciples, and this is digging in a little bit deeper. And then third, the gospel way to rest assured, which is gonna circle us back to part one, but, but fill in some gaps here. So again, the first movement, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you're young and you don't know what your deal is with Jesus yet, um, I want to take you to the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel actually takes us, in fact, to Jesus' heart. You know, when the Bible talks about heart, the Bible is not just talking, and this is definitely true in the Hebrew and the Old Testament. It's also generally true in the New Testament, too. Heart doesn't just mean our emotions. It includes our emotions. In the you know, modern Western English-speaking world, we think of heart as like our emotions, okay, our feelings. Okay. Heart in the Bible is much more complex than that. Heart means the driver of your will and your character. Heart and soul are two central words to who you really are, your heart and your soul. And heart, when you're talking about heart, it includes in the Old Testament, it means mind and character and will and the driver for your mind and your character and your will. Well, we're going to be turning today to the one passage in the New Testament where Jesus specifically, explicitly talks about his own heart and describes his heart to you. Are you interested? I hope Christians already know where I'm going with this. If, if you're not a Christian or you're maybe a baby Christian or you're, you're a young person, look, this is, Jesus talks about his own heart for one time in the entire New Testament, in all the four Gospels. And we're going to turn to that passage today. We're also going to turn to some scriptures in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, that relate to this testimony of Jesus and that lead us into what we celebrate when we're saved in Jesus, which is the new covenant, the new covenant, the new testament that Jesus uh, opens to us that we might be saved in him. Because it's not just a kind of a random fill out a card relationship with Jesus. It is a covenant relationship with him. So we're going to talk about that. So now, uh, let us then turn to these passages of Scripture. First, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. And we're going to go to verse 25. Covenant promise of God. 
it leads into the new covenant now. Hear now God's word. For I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. And then to the New Testament. We'll just pick up a portion of, the, of a larger passage that's going to include when Jesus talks about his own heart. From Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father, God the Father, except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So first and most importantly, the heart of the gospel, Jesus' heart and Jesus' call for sinners to come to him, to be saved and to receive this rest. See, we're going to look at in this, now in this, this first movement of this sermon now, Jesus' core cardia, okay, his core heart, our crisis, so we get Jesus' core cardia, Jesus' core heart, we've got our crisis, Jesus' call to us from our crisis, and Jesus' covenant, which means Jesus' promise, okay, of relationship, of covenant relationship. So his, um, his core cardia, Jesus' core cardia, you know, cardia is a, is a Greek word for heart, and then it gets transposed over into Latin, Amy Latin, cardia, you know, with the C instead of the K, and, and, and this means heart. We all know this word, right, from cardiology and such, okay. Uh, Jesus' core cardia, his core heart, is that he is gentle and meek and humble or lowly in heart. Now, last year, if you're in this church family or otherwise access our resources, you know, and if you're online, you know, you know this, I commended to you Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, as a great devotional guide, point of reference for you last year. And you, you may remember that we used this, and I highlighted this for several months, as the base of our men's Bible study. You know, we have a men's Bible study on Tuesday morning for prayer and Bible study. And we went through uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, and looked at other scriptures that kind of link with this message. Now, in this book, in this book, Dane points out something that his dad pointed out to him, that Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher, emphasized back in the 19th century, and this is the reality I've already referred to, and this is the reality that um, there is only one place in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Only one place, only one passage where Jesus talks specifically and unveils his heart to us. 
And when Jesus tells us what animates him, what drives his will, his character, who he is, what, what is the heart that drives, that, that defines and, and, and drives Jesus in who he is, when Jesus tells us about his heart, here's what he says. That he's gentle and lowly. That he's meek and humble. Jesus says, I am. You know, you know the I am statements of Jesus? Well, here's an I am statement. I am. Praus is the Greek here. I'm meek. I'm gentle. And I'm humble, lowly in heart. Now, that praus word that I just gave you, that, that only comes in a form. It's an adjective, adjective form. It only comes four times in the entire New Testament, four times, okay? And three of the times that is used, it's also used in, in Peter's letter, 1 Peter, uh, with re relationship to how women and wives are to act. But three times are in the Gospel of Matthew. And let me tell you the two other times when it happens. You get it in plural form, which is praise in the third beatitude. Guess what the third beatitude says? Blessed are the meek. Y'all remember this? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Wait a minute, Jesus, the meek win? I thought I'm supposed to be asserting myself and, and the loudest politician wins and, you know, it's going to reign forever and the United States will be resplendent and basically replace uh, the uh, heaven anyway, so I'm more worried about the United States and our politics, and, and we got to be assertive, and we got to just take over. No, Jesus says, blessed are the praise, the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And that's the theme that runs several times through the Old Testament as well. I mean, that's like all through the Bible. Then the other time when you get this term, in addition to this central one that we're looking at today, is when Jesus comes at the beginning of what we call Holy Week, heading into Passover week. Jesus approaches Jerusalem, you know, from the Mount of Olives, like the Messiah is supposed to come. And man, does he come with legions of angels and armed associates riding on a war horse to claim his victory? Is that the way Jesus comes to Jerusalem? No, we specifically read in Matthew chapter 19, same term, that Jesus comes meek, praus, and lowly, riding on, y'all remember this, is he on a war horse? No, he's riding on a donkey, like a peace offering. So, so those are the three key times that you get in Matthew's gospel. This is an unusual term. Um, what it means, what Jesus' heart is like. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, meek, mounted on a donkey. Jesus, as Dane Ortland comes back and circles around and says, Jesus is not a trigger, happy, or harsh ruler or God. He is accessible. He condescends. You ever seen a gentle giant playing with like a little baby? I mean, a gentle giant, a meek giant? Does he beat up on the baby? No, no. It's awesome to see like a gentle giant, you know, playing with a little baby, being gentle with a little flower. This is Jesus coming to us now. Um, 
what Ortland says is that he is the most understanding person in the entire universe. That's what this passage is telling us. He is the most understanding person in the entire universe. The posture most natural to Jesus and to his heart is not the pointed finger, but the embrace. I mean, who could have thought up a Messiah like this? Only God, right? And the point that he's lowly means that he's accessible. He's getting down on our level. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means power that is under self-control for gracious purposes. That's, that's what this is saying. That's Jesus' core heart. And no matter how young you are, you need to understand Jesus, he will gently bring you to himself. Come to him. You don't have to understand everything. You don't, you don't, you're not in charge. That's the whole point. But the giant, the God himself, the Savior, is gentle and comes down to our level to receive us for salvation. And that's his core heart. Our crisis, though, we've got to be real about this. Of course, we're sinners, but in the midst of being sinful, we really need rest. We need salvation, right? We need to be healed. And we need to stop striving and trust in him and live in his communion. That, that's, what the, that's what our crisis is. We really need this. All who labor and are heavy laden. You may remember Jesus also says, um, those who um, are righteous don't need a savior. Those who are well don't need a physician. But if you're going to acknowledge you're sick, come on. Remember this? This is like, are you willing to acknowledge you need to surrender to Jesus? This is the basic question. You really do? We all really do? Even those of us who've maybe been in the church for years, and the truth is, we, we talk a good talk, but the truth is we're not really yielded to Jesus. We're not really resting in him. We're more controlled by these, you know, glowing rectangles and by what we've got to do and what we're going to prove and who we are and what we have. Jesus says, you are weary by all this. You're laboring and striving for what will not fill you. You're empty. Come to me. So that's our crisis, and that, of course, leads into Jesus' call, come to me. Now, notice this. Jesus could say, and this would be totally good for him to say, turn to the Father, or maybe go to the temple. Okay? But notice this. Jesus says, come to me, because he's going to give us rest. But wait a minute, only God can give us rest. Are we saying that Jesus is God? Yes. More specifically, is Jesus saying, I am God? Yes. I give the kingdom. I give everything, not just salvation, but the cup that overflows, the kingdom, heaven, everything. Come to me. To me, me, Jesus which then leads into Jesus' covenant. Hear this again. I will give you rest. Calm down. You don't have to be all anxious. You don't have to be so proud. You don't have to be this, that, and the other thing, clinging to the... Come to me, and I will give you rest. Once again, he's saying what only God can say. And the whole point of the Old Testament is like leading to God's rest and 
wait a minute, only God can give the rest, but Jesus just said, I'll give you rest. Exactly. He's God. And he will make good on his covenant. I will give you rest. As God says in the book of Jeremiah, I will satisfy the weary soul. That's Jesus fulfilling this. So that's the invitation. If you're not sure where you are with Jesus, I'm calling you to answer this invitation. Turn to Jesus. Now, for the disciples, let's move on to second movement here, the offense of the gospel. And the offense of the gospel uh, includes the Christ of the cross, which is very offensive to a lot of folks. The central uh, offense of the gospel, the only way. The only way through God the Son. I mean, the only way. And then his discipleship demands on us, the cost of discipleship. Let's go to the central one first, the only way through God the Son. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Did he say a couple things? Did he say temporarily handed over to me? No, this is just like in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, the whole thing. But wait a minute, God would only give that kind of authority to God. Yeah, he's the Son, once again. So all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That is not John Calvin speaking. That is not the Westminster Standards speaking. We're not even over in the Gospel of John or in Paul's letters. This is Jesus, and this is specifically smack dab in the middle of this central, hugely important passage about who Jesus is in his heart in Matthew chapter 11. Wait a minute. Jesus has to allow us to come to know God? Yes. Wait a minute. I don't have to wait to get over to John 14, verse 6, to say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Exactly. Matthew eleven twenty seven. He is the one who forgives sin. He is the one who has power to and authority to save. He is the one who has power and authority to bring you into rest, which means eternal communion with God himself. Come to him. But that is an offensive claim to many. you saying, this is Jesus? And the only way is Jesus? And Jesus answers. This is not Martin. This is not John Calvin. This is not somebody. This is Jesus says, yes. Then we deal with the Christ of the cross. We're in a conflict situation. By the time you get to, you know, in all the Gospels, you get to this point where there's not just some Pharisees that are opposing Jesus. Even the people who thought they liked Jesus are questioning him and turning against him. And you get to that point in Matthew chapters 10 and 11, even as he sends out his disciples for mission work. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to, not to bring peace, but a sword. Wait a minute, does this mean a violent revolt? No, he's not talking about literal sword. What does he mean by sword? For I have come to set a man against his father and daughter, uh, a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In other words, I'm going to break up families because you've got to make a choice. Is Jesus the Lord in the way or not? I mean, this is going to break up families. Whoever loves father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then verse 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A real saved person is going to be a disciple who takes up his cross and follows Jesus and is subject to offense, persecution, everything. And then Matthew 11, verse 6, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me, Jesus says. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that John, the Baptist, who is in prison, sends a messenger. This is the beginning of Matthew 11. Now, leading into this verse we're talking about, this is the chapter that leads into John is, is, has been arrested, is in prison, and he sends messengers because John is frustrated with Jesus. You're supposed to be the Messiah. What am I, what am I doing in prison? Why am I about to be beheaded? Like, why haven't you run out the pagans and the Romans and run out the bad religious leaders and ushered in the great new kingdom? So John sends messengers who, who, who ask Jesus this question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Enough already, John is saying. And Jesus says to John's messengers, you go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And then verse 6. This is the stinger now. He loves John, but this is a warning, not just to John, but to you and me. And blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. You go tell John that. That then circles us into um, our, where we're going for today. So, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The gospel is offensive to most people out there. I gotta tell you this, it better not be offensive to us. We better repent and turn really fast. Um, he calls us to real discipleship. Finally, third, the gospel way to rest assured begins today begins today and you can pretty much frame your week or are you a first day person right as a disciple we are first day people we begin the week on this side of the resurrection celebrating living in our communion uh, living in christ uh, and and moving into the new week on this side of the new you know, the new creation right we are moving in the new creation and god is calling us to that and the gospel way to rest assured moves in that direction today and every day God gives us we need to respond so Jesus is the author and the giver and the covenant home of rest so he he's the author of rest he's the giver of rest and he actually is our rest okay so in Exodus when Moses is asking the Lord Who's going to go with us? I mean, this is pretty scary. Who's going to leave Sinai with us and take us in the direction of the promised land? Moses said to the Lord, this is Exodus 33, picking up at verse 12. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Is it going to be an angel? Who is it? Um, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. You say all this, Moses is saying, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord, said, here's the answer. Here it is. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's the answer. 
Exodus 32, verse 14. The prayer of Moses, consonant with this, you know, Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Over to Jeremiah the prophet, leading into the New Covenant, the New Testament, prophesied about this. Thirty-one twenty-five. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. This leads into the great prophetic statement in Jeremiah about the new covenant that God gives Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For now, here's the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the invitation of the covenant. Now, what are we supposed to do? Let's go back to Jesus' passage and understand there are actually two commands tagged with promises. The first command we've already emphasized pretty much, come to me. That's the command. That's, it's an invitation, but it's a command, Jesus says. Make your decision. Come to me. Respond to what I'm doing. Okay? Come to me. All you who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now let's go to the second command because there are two commands here. This one's about the yoke, which means Jesus is teaching and being a real disciple, okay? Here's the second command and the promise that goes with it. Matthew 11:29 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's he talking about, his yoke? That means his teaching, the new covenant, the law of love, the new way. And in the Bible, people are referred to as being stiff-necked, like cows and oxen who will not allow themselves to be yoked. You've got to let your stiff neck go and let him put his yoke upon you. Just like he says in the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, getting them to sign a card, and I'll see you in heaven. Is that what he says? No, no. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Take my yoke upon you. Look, my yoke is easy. It's so much easier than trying to live by the world's rules and trying to prove yourself in the world. Take my yoke upon you. And our invitation is today. 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 Um, today, this is in the, in the invitation. I mean, it, it's like a choice that we all have to make. It's a calling that God gives to us. Um, back in Jeremiah chapter 6, Jesus is prophesied in this, in this calling that, that what God says to his folks. Jeremiah 6, 16, thus says the Lord, 
Stand by the roads and look and ask for ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's Jeremiah 6.16. But they said, we will not walk in it. What do you say? Which way are you going to go? Today. Hebrews 4.7. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts and do not stiffen your neck. Don't even answer that call. His call is more important than that call. I know the beepers are going off. Focus on Jesus and come to him today this minute, and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, to you alone be the glory. May we, I pray that everyone here hears your voice and comes to you, and that we yield our necks to your yoke and live a life in your word. In Christ's name, amen.